I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. Yeah, so it's it's six chapters, but Moroni one through six, but that's like one chapter from before. And as I was doing the reading, like through each chapter, I'm like, okay, there's not as much to to glean out of every chapter in this section. It's kind of uh, a lot smaller. But in in chapter one, I think verse three is the most important part. Moroni is talking about how he's basically finished talking about the people of Jared. Um, and he's like, I haven't died yet, so <laughs> until I die, I guess I'll just keep writing things. And um, he's talking about how bad it is. You know, the Lamanites are are putting to death every Nephite that will not deny the Christ. And then in verse 3, And I, Moroni, will not deny the Christ. Wherefore, I wander whithersoever I can for the safety of my own life. He's like, I'm not going to do it. I will not buckle under this pressure. And I hope that each one of us, you know, the old seminary exercise of inserting your name in the scriptures— I hope that we can do that also, you know, we can look at that and say, no matter what comes, no matter what happens in my life, I will not do that. I will not deny the Christ. Um, I think it's really cool. He's had a lot of experiences, I'm sure, that most of us haven't had um, that reiterates and, and reinforces his testimony. But above all else, I mean, in the face of basically death, he's saying they can go ahead and take me because I'm not going to do this. You know, I will not deny the Christ. And that, that just really reinforces his testimony for me. Yeah. One, one of the things uh, this year studying the Book of Mormon has really brought to my mind has been to look for why, what these prophets would go through and what that would feel like to us. And to look for, um, sometimes in the gospel, we can feel like, how come I don't get the entire answer? Or how come I don't get an answer? Or how come it didn't go according to plan? Or, or how come I'm the only one that appears to have doubts? And as I've read the Book of Mormon this year, I've noticed that that also happens to all these people. Like they're not immune as much as we look at them and it's almost like seeing their Facebook page. They look perfect. Oh, Nephi with his bow and, and Alma could speak so well and, and the sons of Mosiah could convert millions and, you know, and it's like, but as you read their stories, you see that they have times of trials, times of ambiguity, times that they don't know what they're doing, times where their outcome, we can read it as a success because we, we're reading the entire story, we're seeing generations later, or we're living in our day where we're now receiving the blessings of their knowledge and their and their counsel to us. But we don't stop to look and say, man, they, 
they were also they also had to live by faith. They also saw angels, and they weren't uh, automatically perfect, you know. And and here in verse four, that's what all of that kind of sums back in, in, in where it says, "Wherefore I write a few more things contrary to that which I had supposed." So I made a plan and I carried it out, and then now I'm finding out <laughs> I have more I need to do because. What he writes next is so important where he's thinking, well, I'm done. Maybe I'll do a little bit more. Is of so much worth to the Book of Mormon and its entire story and to us in our day and then later to Joseph Smith and in the Doctrine and Covenants, what that brings, you know. And it's like it was very important, but he still had agency. He still had feelings of doubt or not knowing everything or God told me to do something. I think I was done. I think I swept all the coconuts, but I got more time. I'll go sweep a couple more, you know, <laughs> it, it was just like, and sometimes, and then his life, you know, we, we don't know he, if, but he's fearing for his life. He's like, he couldn't, there's so many things that come to my mind. Like if I were Moran, I'd be like, okay, so you're telling me I need to write on these golden plates, which takes a really long time while they're chasing me, trying why don't you stop them, huh? You know what? You know it's, we could easily say, Heavenly Father, why don't you do this? Or, like the Jaredites did with the Tempest and, and all of these other challenges. And I'm just saying that to say sometimes in our life, it seems like we're running for our lives and we're having to write the plates. And we thought we'd be done by now and we're not done yet, you know? And ultimately the story may seem like a failure, but it's not, you know? The Book of Mormon doesn't end well. It ends how they tell us from the beginning. This, I'm going to show you how the, it was the pride that became the downfall of these people. Yep. And then the message to us is the exact same thing. How is the pride going to be our downfall? And what does that look like? You know? Not only that, but also puts into perspective, like, what are you doing? What is your, I guess I'll keep writing moment, you know? Um, are, when, you, when you think you've fulfilled everything, because this is enduring to the end. This is the principle of enduring to the end and long suffering. You know, he thinks he's done it. Okay, so you served a mission, you got married, uh, you've had kids. Okay, and you are a high priest or whatever. I guess you just coast now. No, he he's doing exactly what you should be doing. Rona is like, I guess I'll just keep writing and keep doing whatever the Lord wants me to do until my time comes. And like you said, what comes out of these last few chapters of the book is some of the most important stuff that's in it. So what are you doing? You know, don't, what, what are, what legacy are you leaving for those that come after? Not only with your time, but in your words and your actions, what are you teaching those that come after you? Because he's saying, you know, in, uh, in chapter one, in verse four, that perhaps they may be of worth unto my brethren, the Lamanites, in some future day, according to the will of the Lord. He doesn't know. You know, I'm going to keep writing stuff that I feel is important. The next chapter he writes is like, okay, well, I'm going back to the words of Christ when he visited. Call upon the Father in my name and mighty prayer. He's just trying to contribute something else that will be of value to the book. And I think chapter two is kind of like, make sure that you pray often. And that Christ told them to, and that they, as many as they lay on their hands, felt the Holy Ghost. So the gift of the Holy Ghost. You know, and then the next chapter is kind of like, Here's how we ordain teachers and priests. Like, why does that matter? Because this church is a church of order, and God is a God of order. And he's trying well, to it, teach some of these principles in the last It, it stands life. as a testimony with the Bible. Yeah. You know, and some of the things that we're taking out of there were maybe just the emphasis on the laying on of hands, 
Although you can find a lot of examples in the Bible. You find a very clear examples here that cannot be uh, misinterpreted as or misunderstood. As in the Bible, sometimes you can, well, did he touch them? Did it lay, you know, it doesn't say lay on of hands. You know, um, but one of the things that when you were talking that I thought was interesting is I find that in, the, in Joseph Smith history, and even in the, you can read some of this in the Saints volumes, those are pretty good, and in any other history about Joseph Smith or books, you find Joseph Smith is translating. And as he's translating, he comes across something in the Book of Mormon that prompts him to go ask a question of the Lord, which then prompts the Lord to give him clarification and new revelation that we know as the Doctrine and Covenants are going to be coming out that way. And I think that's so important because a lot of the things, the laying on of hands, uh, infant baptism, the sacrament prayers, prayers, I, I think they would have had to be in things that were also being used to teach Joseph Smith and to teach him what kind of questions he needs to ask. You know, for example, when they read about the waters of Mormon, that's when they asked about baptism. Then they ushered in the, the um, John the Baptist and, and the return of the Aaronic priesthood. And then, and so on. And we see that same story with Joseph Smith in the example of the Word of Wisdom. It wasn't until Emma was disgusted by the tobacco fill, falling through the roof into her kitchen that she goes and tells Joseph, it doesn't seem like this is something becoming of a man of God. Why don't you ask the Lord? And so he goes and asks and gets the whole Word of Wisdom. And, yeah. it's, and, that, and if that's, because sometimes we feel, oh, well, the Book of Mormon, what has it done? And it's like, it's done so much. It may have done everything to shape and train Joseph Smith to ask all the right questions that continue to usher in all the new revelation, you know? Well, in a lot of these, a lot of these things in here too, I think they're less, you know, philosophical explanations of doctrine. And they're more just like, hey, here's how these things work. Here's how we do an ordination. Here's how we bless the sacrament. Here's what we do for the bread. And here's what we say for the water. And I don't know. I think this pandemic and the opportunity to bless the sacrament every Sunday for my family um, and pass it, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a really interesting experience because I've, I've focused on the sacrament in a way that I haven't done in a long time. Where, you know, in the past it's been look at the front, see if there's enough deacons. Okay, they need somebody, maybe go help. Or they need someone to bless, and they've come and said, "Hey, brother Jensen, will you will you help bless the sacrament?" Sure, absolutely, no problem. But now it's like I'm serving this, and I'm saying these words. You know, when it talks about we and them, those who partake of it, like it's my family. They're the people I love most on this planet Earth that I'm blessing this sacrament for, and I'm allowing my wife to renew her covenants. And I'm allowing my little daughter to hear these things and understand what little she can at her young age about the importance of taking this bread and water. Why is it that we, that we take time and stop what we're doing and sit down and, you know, she has snacks throughout the day. She'll have an applesauce here and there and some crackers here and there. Why is this different? Why is this special? Why do we say a prayer before we eat this? This is not the same. This is not a snack, you know? And and helping just that that has been such a, a tremendous blessing in my life because I don't know that we necessarily would have gotten that had we not had a pandemic. It wouldn't have been every single week like this. It's interesting that our workhouses are 
and have been mentioned by other religions as they're not very decorative. They're not very fancy. They're nice. They're really nice. I think they're very nice. They're clean, but they're not elaborate. They're not, you know, they have mild decoration, mild, you know, there's nothing in it that you could say this is, except for the sacrament, you know, table. And, and, and what we do in the most important room of our warehouses in the chapel is we partake of the sacrament. And the fact that they're allowing us to do that at home. Yeah. Should then say that is the sacrament in, in the chapel, is it as sacred as our home or is our home supposed to be as sacred as the chapel? Is yeah, that- I mean, it's hard to make your living room or your kitchen like a chapel. But at the same time, can you do that for five, ten minutes, you know, can you say, hey, we're all going to sit down, we're going to calm down, we're going to put the things that we're doing down, and we're going to take time to be holy. In this place, in this place where we live and we do homework and we eat and we throw a ball around and we watch TV, we're going to take a minute, we're going to set the world aside, and we're going to take time to be holy. And we're going to say these prayers, and we're going to listen to the words and understand what they mean. I think that that, yeah, for maybe it won't be like a chapel all the time but i think for five or ten minutes but i also think like i'm not trying to say that it should be as clean as what i'm trying to say is i think the church is trying to send us a message or the lord is trying to tell us that it's in doing yeah that things are holy not in buildings not in locations but if you're doing what he's asked that is holy our clothing, sometimes we can dress nice, sometimes we can't, you know. Sometimes we have clean water, sometimes we don't, we have to use Coca-Cola, you know. <laughs> you know, sometimes we ha- don't have bread, but we have crackers. And and they're not good crackers, they're stale, and <laughs> we got them you know, off-brand crackers. And the other word, they have Ritz crackers, and they're fresh <laughs> from the oven. And, you know, and it's like, he's saying that doesn't matter. No. What matters is you do your best. And when and what your best is, be grateful for it. Because what your best right now may be our living rooms, and that's great. What somebody else, it may be they have to go to a neighbor's or somebody, they don't have somebody in their home, or they have to have someone come in their home, and they wish that they wouldn't, you know, could have it themselves, you know. You know, but but that's, I don't know, that's what I'm trying to say, is, is the, the, the message that we continue to function, you know. We continue to perform, and and it's not, it, it won't take advantage. It's like back when we were reading in Ether 12, where Ether is, is worried about his writing, and, and the Lord says, hey, fools mock, but they shall mourn, and my grace is sufficient that they should have no advantage over you because of your flaw. And yeah. I feel, in a way, sometimes like that with this corona and this pandemic and all this turmoil, it's like the Lord is saying, do what I've told you to do. And they shall have no advantage over you, you know. Yeah, I I think in in chapter six he's talking about ministering, and it kind of comes across I don't know. Uh, in verse five, and the church did meet together often, fast to fast and to pray and to speak one with another concerning the welfare of their souls. That is ministering, and I think it's interesting that it starts out not together necessarily to fast and to pray. You don't have to be in a group to do that. And so your ministering doesn't have to always, it's not, it doesn't begin when you leave your house to go visit someone or when you call someone on the phone, it begins before that. 
your ministering begins with being in the right mindset to be a spiritual strength to someone else and to be able to contribute to their well-being. And then after that, you know, to speak with one with another concerning souls, that you'd meet together off to partake of bread and wine in remembrance of the Lord Jesus, to have the sacrament. And then in verse 7, you know, that they observed that there would be no iniquity among them, that they, and whoso was found to commit iniquity, and three witnesses of the church to condemn them before the elders. That kind of sounds like, I don't know, to me it sounded like, whoa, <laughs> we don't we do not do that like that. Well, it's the high council now. We have you yeah. know, kind of high council court. And, and then the key to that is obviously verse 8. But as often as they repented and sought forgiveness with real intent, they were forgiven. And the whole idea was done correctly and done in the right spirit. This is not a witch hunt. You know, you're not out looking for people committing iniquity. What you're doing is you're saying, brother, come on, man. Let's go. You and me, we're going to get back in this. We've been having a hard time, haven't you? Well, yeah, I guess. I, I haven't been doing everything the way I should. All right. Come with me. Let's go back. So I, I often think about that example of people who change or fall away and come back or people that have never been and they come back anyway, right? And and I think about it as we see their trial and they're falling away and they're coming back. But how much of that is also your responsibility to forgive them? Yeah. And if you forgive them and they misuse your trust or they were just joking or, or they fall away again, what is it to you? Because I, I, I say to myself that because I'm, I'm, I'm more of like I can forgive, but which ends up being worse, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but I look at someone that is wrong, and we see this a lot in the media. I mean, we see so-and-so made a mistake and, and 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 then automatically the comments are well i hope they throw the book at him i hope that is this and I mean, there's no room for this there's a, and it's like that that may be true that this individual will never change but our job is to be watchful and to be ready to forgive that's kind of where we need to lie as opposed to be ready to condemn and blot out we, we will condemn and we will blot out. There are moments for that. But the greatest place where we need to reside is being ready to forgive people. Allowing them back into the fold. And I know I say that, but that's the hardest thing ever. <laughs> to trust someone again. Or, or to look beyond someone's mistakes. You know, we, The world right now has us geared towards the mentality that mistakes are irreversible that any character flaw or damage is fatal yeah. and that there is some sort of standard and no one lives up to because people keep kind of just insulting each other online endlessly right and finding fault with everything how much of this is advice for us because when when i read this section where it mentions and we met together oft i thought i thought for me i thought that it's nice to meet sunday with good people but who are you meeting the rest of the week with? Are you meeting, are you spending time with in places where it's nice to be together, that we can pray, that we can talk about the welfare of our souls and, and to nurture each other? You know, this is all almost talk about nurturing the word of God. Because I think sometimes we, we don't realize how important it is 
to be surrounded by good people. And good people aren't necessarily, I'm saying, they all have to be members. There's a lot of good people yeah. to be friends with, to be associated with, to do uh, ward activities, to do block parties with, to do work things, gym things, school things, that we surround ourselves with good people. And I think I think we will be much happier and it'd be a lot easier to forgive each other and to follow the commandments and to remember our covenant if we're with good people. Not only that, but allow allow the way that you think and feel on Sunday to soak into the rest of your week. Don't separate that. Don't compartmentalize, you know, your Sunday thoughts and feelings from the rest of your week's thoughts and feelings. And I know it's hard because you get into work and you get to start thinking about work things and uh, whatever tasks you have to do as a family, whatever errands you have to run. But I, I feel like one of the biggest struggles that we have as a society right now is that on Sunday, we say and do certain things that are very loving and accepting and understanding and unifying. And then during the week, we tend to forget that that's what we're about. And we start to be divisive and be critical and judgmental. And it's like, then back, Sunday comes back around and yeah, we're able to course correct, but we almost keep them separated, you know, and you got to let it soak through to the rest of the week. Let it, let it soak into all your other things. Like, like Moroni says, I will not deny the Christ. Well, you're not denying the Christ if you aren't, you know, like a monk all week. But what I'm saying is like, allow it to soak in, allow it to enter your thoughts even during the week too. It, it can be hard, but we have to figure out ways to remind ourselves, you know, this isn't just a Sunday behavior. This is an all-the-time behavior, or it should be, and work towards that. There's a, a quote in the Sunday School Manual from Elder Holland. He says, most people don't come to church looking merely for a few new gospel facts or to see old friends, though all of that is important. They come seeking a spiritual experience. They want peace. They want their faith fortified and their hope renewed. In short, to be nourished by the good word of God, to be strengthened by the powers of heaven. Now, right now, most people are limited to maybe sacrament meeting at the most, at the best, you know, as far as Sunday church meeting attendance. So what do we do until we can get back into the swing of things? How do we address that? How do we still make connections with one another? How do we still feel that nourishment of the good word of God from one another? Well, every ward is different, but... Ours, they've, we've been doing Sunday school lessons and all those things. Records it, and you can watch their lesson, their presentation, right? We've had a lot of individuals leaving things at our door. They just leave them, like little candies and little notes, you know. I think there's also a possibility. I mean, there, a lot of words are meeting, some in, in Zoom and other things, uh, having activities. And in some scenarios, you're still able to meet in smaller groups if you have, you know, face protection and, and, and all that stuff, you know. So it kind of depends. I think more important is if you have the desire, uh, you'll be led to a, to a solution. Yeah. That's uniquely yours. Um, if it's not something we think about or pray about or look for, well, it'll, it'll pass us by. It's almost like when you go to buy a car. You're like, oh, I was looking at the Subaru Forester. And now all you see is Subaru Forester, you know? <laughs> yep. And if we wake up with that mentality, hey, I, I want to, I wonder how so-and-so is doing. Well, if you th really think about it, it won't be long until you find out how so-and-so is doing. One way or another, you know? And that's the thing is, 
a lot of, you know, are have good desires, but also have faith that you can do something about it. It's different. I don't know. I've seen people that live next to each other. They put signs out on their lawns, giving each other messages as people walk around the block. <laughs> There's a lot of creativity. Well, you have, well, you're right. You have to be looking for it. And you can't allow yourself to get into this mentality of woe is me. You know, you have to say, okay, so this is the way, this is the way it is right now. What am I going to do about it? How am I going to make the best of this? How am I going to make the most of it? And you'll find ways. Um, the title of when this you... lesson is to keep them in the right way. And I, I'm curious what you think maybe, why do they choose that as the title of this lesson? I think in the, the examples given to us are very specific, almost examples of ordinances or covenants. And then admonishment and counsel, do these things, meet together off, partake of these things in righteousness. Um, you know, when you ordain somebody, do it in this format. It's like the Lord has given us certain patterns. By following those patterns, we can maintain ourselves on the straight and narrow path. And that's what helps us stay on, on target. Yeah, I think it also, to me, it means like, here are certain things that aren't open to interpretation that aren't open to necessarily your individual creativity here's the these are the sacrament prayers don't make it like a huge production right to, to do the sacrament these are the things you should be saying this is the way to ordain someone by laying on of hands you know don't make it a huge ceremony you know just here's how you do it it's and kind of like when things. he told them the name of the church you know right Right. And then there's other things where it's like, you know what? I don't really care how you go about ministering. That is up to you and your personal inspiration and your personal revelation to determine. But he never says, here's the sacrament. Here's how we want it done. Figure it out yourself. Do it however you want. No, there, there is a right way to do things. There is order to this. And there well, are times when, when you can still use your creativity and your inspiration in other ways. It's interesting because in the, the Doctrine and Covenants, this is weird because we're getting ready for a Doctrine and Covenants and I keep hearing and learning things about the Doctrine There are times when the Lord is giving counsel. And then there are times when he's saying, I give this to you by way of commandment. Right. And, and even with the Word of Wisdom, its initial implication was, this is some a Word of Wisdom. Pay heed to this. And then later on, it was, no, this is now a commandment type of thing. So I think we forget that because even with the brother Jared, it was like, hey, you will build barges and you're going on this trip. But how you get light in this or, you know, how you get air, I'll help you a little bit with that. But how you get light, you're on your own, you know. Okay. And I think I think that's kind of with us. There are certain things in it that uh, the Lord is, they could be parables you know, but in like you mentioned in this scenario, he's being very direct, so there's no misunderstanding of the order of things and how and how things should happen. Yep. At the same time, there's a scripture that says this is a house of order. There's also it's not meet that I should dictate on all things, right? So in some instances, he's going to say, "Look, this cannot change," and if you do, it will start an apostasy, right? You'll start to involve other things. Other things will take more importance than the actual ordinance of the sacrament. What kind of bread you use will suddenly start to matter. That doesn't matter. This matters. The rest of it, that might be open to your interpretation. That might be open to your inspiration. 
but these certain things these are these are locked in stone it it feels to me very much that the process by which the lord gives us knowledge commandments advice all that stuff if we if we think of him as not a heavenly parent if we think of him as a tyrant then we can see as all these principles or examples being contradictory to each other which is easy how can you kill one time and the other time i shall not kill how what is what but if you think of it as a parent and then you consider your children and how they learn you realize hey there are some things that are no's you are not going to play on the stove Mm-hmm. We're going to keep the Drano locked up. You know, there, there are certain things that are just like, no, you do not do not stick your finger in the in the blender, you know, like, and then there's other things where it's like, I don't know, figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's your poster. What do you want to make? And, and there is kind of no wrong answer. The, the right answer is that she's engaged in the activity or he's engaged in the activity and they're doing something where they're learning how to shape or color or create. And in that scenario, there is no wrong answer. I, you know. Like, and he could tell his pastors, whether you go left, you go right, it doesn't matter. As long as go teach the gospel somewhere. Go. We get we get frustrated, though, a lot of times when the Lord doesn't tell us exactly what to do. You know, we say, here's, I'm at this crossroads in my life. What should I do? And it's like my four-year-old waking up in the morning saying, what should I play? Should I play with my blocks or with my Play-Doh? And I'm like, I don't care. Either one's fine. Yeah, but, and then imagine us, you know, should I get this job or that job? It doesn't matter. Either one of those is going to be good. I just want yeah, you to get a good one. job. Yeah. Get one, one. <laughs> Get one where you don't work on Sunday. Okay, other than that, is, you know, create your talents. What are you going to go multiply them? Or are you going to go bury that one? Then I do have some advice based on that. But, you know, it, but there's levels, you know. There are certain things that are very specific that he commands. And when he wants that, he is specific. And, and, and maybe that's one of the lessons from all of these trips and journeys and prayers and dilemmas that we've seen so far in the Book of Mormon, the prophets and saints have to, had to work through, is, hey, do the best you can with what you know while continuing to gain more knowledge and knowing that you don't know everything, but also continuing to rely on the Lord and waiting, you know, doing everything you can with your agency and then waiting upon Him and His timing. And maybe that's one of the, the benefits of this pandemic also. Breaking some of those traditions, some of those habits that we've fallen into over the years of this is how we've always done things. And him saying, yeah, you know what? I still want you to do the sacrament and I still want to want you to do it the same way. Certain things we'll still do. We'll still have sustaining and setting apart and all that of new people. But how you choose to worship on Sunday. It's up to you. Well, it's funny because I thought. Oh, very similarly, I remember when missionaries were getting tablets and cell phones. And I was like, what kind of, uh, what? What is going on? I mean, we had to call our own our own apartment and listen to our voicemail to see who called us while we were at another appointment. You know, like, it's like, what? And automatically you think, oh, they're going to be playing games. They're going to play, you know, <laughs> Castle Crash or, or whatever, you know, Candy Crush. You know, they're going to be talking to their boyfriends or girlfriends or, you know, uh, and it's it's fine. You know, they're doing well. And now with this whole, now that most missionaries have to work remotely now and do visits remotely and rely more on members, how it always should have been, members should have been helping, you know, and they do help. To them, this pandemic is like no factor. 
they're <laughs> totally different. They can continue to work and contact people and get out there and do things. And it's funny because that's that's a form of like a huge change. Yeah. Um, and it's still important. You know, one of the things you mentioned a while back, uh, I think it was um, you were talking about how it's uncharacteristic or how it's common or how it shouldn't happen. I don't know. You were saying along the lines that um, when people have on Sunday really nice feelings, really positive vibes, you know, a lot of charity and gratitude in their heart. Yeah. But then the rest of the week, they kind of close off to that or even ignore the fact that they had those feelings and then tend to act kind of the opposite, more divisive, more. So I, I was looking for the scripture and it's in uh, Luke chapter six, in the New Testament, 27 through 36. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And then it says in 32, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to them who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High God, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your father is merciful. You know, the way they, I don't know, it just sounds a lot more human, <laughs> whatever. But it just made me think about, we better be very careful and remember that we ourselves are on a journey to be disciples, to follow Christ's teachings. And as we have impressions and feelings and we grow closer to him, to know how Christ is through his scriptures, his examples of his prophets and and teachings, we better be careful that we don't become hypocrites, that we don't seek out the kingdom of heaven while condemning others not to get there themselves, or hoping others don't get there, or being glad that others aren't living the gospel, or not happy, or not blessed, you know. We have to be very careful, because it's not easy for those kind of feelings to creep in. And although they seem so insignificant, that is how that is Satan's plan. He gets you with what's insignificant. He changes little tiny things till he can change big things. Very rarely do we go straight to a large thing, you know. Yeah. Usually it's by degrees. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. 
Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.